And welcome to another episode of Menace to Sobriety. It's me, your host, Daniel O'Reilly, a.k.a. the comedian Dapper Laughs. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love the podcast and I love you guys tuning in. So thank you. Uh, if you're watching this when it's dropped, it's Friday night. I like to pop them out on Fridays to keep that gremlin, the sesh gremlin, I call it, away. Uh, and to help you um, overcome any of those triggers you might be having on a Friday to get out there. But listen, this is a sober podcast about sobriety, addiction, mental health, well-being. It's great for anyone that's sober curious. It's amazing for people that are on their sober journey. And it's just filled full of fun facts and relatable stories. Uh, I'm 341 days, just over 11 months. Thank you. Wee, wee, wee. So, um, you know, it keeps me sober. I like to do it every week. And what I like to do on the podcast is interview and chat to and find out about people that are, you know, knowledgeable in sobriety. So it could be psychologists, could be celebrities, whatever, various different people, authors, everything. Anyone that can give us some information or relatable stories that can help us and get us through. And my next guest um, has written a book, Me and My Addiction, which straight away caught my caught my eye. I jumped on a, a little Zoom call um, to have a chat. And uh, we struck up a rapport and I thought, do you know what? Let's get him on. Uh, let's find out a little bit more about the book, about his story, and see if we can draw any nuggets of information that us lot can take away and use on our own sobriety journeys. Welcome to the stage, Stuart Lee. Thank you so much, Dan. How are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Good man. You come all the way from Devon, right? Sunny Devon. Not so sunny yesterday, but it's yeah. normally sunny, yeah. And um, wow, so you got this book, man, Me and My Addiction. Yes. I, I, I always, I, I love it when, um, it, it, it really gets me going when I see that people have taken the time to write a book, especially about this subject, because it means that it means so much to you, and not just that, that you want to share, which I think is like the key to recovery right yeah yeah definitely um one of the things i don't in recovery is that you to in order to keep it you have to give it away help yeah. the next person i love that i love that um and uh just before we start Stuart, tell me a little bit about you who are you what do you do what's your life consist of right now my life now is quite um sort of monday to friday nine to five yeah job right sort of life and it's quite my my girlfriend hates this when I say it, but I say it's like a, it's like a Monday nine to five life. But yeah. I enjoy that now. Yeah, it's... yeah, we do, don't we? <laughs> That's the madness because I guess it. The word you didn't want to say is boring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's such a such a cliche. But the truth is, our life is such mayhem when we're drinking and on the session stuff that it can seem mundane, but so much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I achieve so much more nowadays now that I've mm. got years of sobriety. Yeah, yeah, behind my belt. How, how, how many years sober are you? I'm um, over 10 years now. Fuck, how old are you? That's crazy. That's amazing. I am 41. 41. So you went sober at 31. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So tell me, um, I'll tell you what, let's just, let's go back to the beginning first. Tell me about your story first. And and is this book, this book is basically your story, isn't it? Kind of. Um I wanted to write the book in a way where it's not just about me and my life. Right. Yeah, there's the stories about my life in there. But I wanted to write it in a way where I use the stories from my life to kind of highlight points right. uh, about addiction and the way our minds work and Information. why we do the things we do so that it can resonate with people who are suffering with addiction. Right. But also, it's there to educate people who aren't addicts because there's so many loved ones out there who don't understand why their loved ones are behaving the way they're behaving. And this book kind of gives them an insight. I got a good review on um, Amazon recently from a lady who said, that she bought the book because she wanted to get into the mind of a loved one 
And she realized from reading the book that she had no idea about addiction. And had she not read the book, she would never have known about addiction. Wow. So it's, it, it's doing the job that I wanted it to. It's educating people as well. That's really interesting, yeah, because in the broader sense of things, my, more people, uh, are, so many more people suffer from addiction, not just the addicts, right? Yeah. Well, the, so, like, you don't need to be an addict yourself to suffer from the disease because the ripple effects of it are, mm. like, huge. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise until after I got sober that I, you know, I sat down with one of my sisters and spoke to her about my behaviour and kind of tried to make amends to her. And I didn't realize that my behavior almost cost her her marriage because she was sticking up for me and her husband was fed up of it. He was like, you know, your brother's a dickhead. Why are you sticking up for him? Mm. So I didn't, it was only after the fact, when I'm in the middle of my addiction and I'm behaving those those ways, I think it's just me that it's affecting. Mm. But I think most people in, in the world these days probably get affected by addiction somewhere, whether it's a loved one or a friend. You don't have to be an addict to get affected by it. Yeah, wow. That's the reason why that kind of hit hits home with me is because a lot of the lads that follow me on 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 um, Instagram, Twitter, and all that that sort of kick back at my sobriety stuff, the the podcast, and when I talk about it, there are a lot of lads that are like, "I'm not an addict. I, I you know, I just enjoy a beer and a bit of gear, right? <laughs> Every weekend, yeah, right." But a lot of them were will will also be complaining in the same breath about their missus having a go at them and having a shit relationship and things not going well and being unhappy, depressed, down, anxious. And I think it's, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, I I, I think people who even just use alcohol and drugs moderately, it still affects their life in a negative way. They yeah. may not realise it straight away, but it still, it still does. Yeah. So let's talk about you, Stuart, mate. So um, start me from the beginning. Talk to me about your childhood, if you don't mind, because I believe I always believe that everyone's um, story. You'd have to excuse the uh, the TV there; it likes to turn on and off. <laughs> but um, I believe everyone's story, uh, addiction-wise, especially, has got some connection to to their upbringing in some way, shape, or form. But start me there. Let's have a chat. Let's get through. Yeah. So, as you said in your in nice introduction, I'm a normal, average kind of person. I yeah. grew up in sunny Devon. I moved there when I was about five. Um, with my parents just a normal working class family my dad would go out and work and the money my mum would work part-time as well because we you know we, we mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of money so she had to there was nothing really abnormal about my upbringing I always say you know from the outside looking in it looked like just a normal childhood yeah um, I'm I've heard it said before by other people on the podcast that they believe they were born with this and I believe the same like there was no real major trauma that kind of kicked off right anything in me um just from a young age i was always fascinated with alcohol so my family were all kind of big drinkers right. and there'd always be like family parties for some reason or mm. you know someone's wedding or someone's 18th birthday and i was always just fascinated by the way people were drinking and enjoying what appeared to me like they were enjoying themselves and having mm. fun and i just always thought i wanted to do it um yeah. i can remember Around about the age of nine or ten, I think, my parents came home one day and talked about they were going to um, be the landlord and landlady of their local pub, and how would we feel about living above it? Wow! And I was super excited. I was like, "This is the best thing ever! All the kids at school are going to love me. I'm going to be the most popular kid at school because I live above a pub." And then a f- couple of weeks later, they come home and said they weren't doing it, and I was devastated. 
and I was at 10 years old, like the, the thrill of living above a pub was so, <sighs> I don't know why at the time. Um, but as I was growing a bit older and getting into teenage years, um, I was kind of like a really shy kid, um, had no confidence, mm. um, didn't feel like I fitted in with anything. Um, and I was trying my best to fit in with different groups of people at the school. And I got involved with the people who smoked and I started smoking and I thought that was pretty cool at the time being one of the naughty kids going around the back of the bike sheds and stuff and smoking cigarettes. And then I got in with the group that were going out on a Friday night drinking alcohol. Mm. And it was, I kind of call it like I found alcohol as being like an instant anxiety remover. Yeah. As soon as I had it, I just felt like I was the person that I needed to be. Um, I could talk to people the way I, the way I couldn't before had all this confidence, um, you know, and I just loved the way it made me feel. So I just, I just carried on doing it and, and for, and I, I actually got recognition for it at some points as well. Like people would make jokes of like, Oh, don't try and out drink Stuart cause he's an, he's an animal. And you liked that. Yeah. 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 All of a sudden I was getting people liking me and you know, Mm, it's celebrating something I was doing. It's it, it's um it's such a familiar story, you know, and, and it's crazy when you think about it with the smoking because that just clicked with me. I was like, yeah, I remember doing that, the smoking, and it's kind of like a cool. It's a cool thing to be naughty, and then the next cool things to drinking. I yeah. mean, I was smoking weed and solid and all that as well. So the next cool things that the next cool things to drinking, and then when you associate the 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 bravado and being able to come out of your skin at such an age where. I mean, when we're teenagers, we're such, it's such an age, isn't it, where you're like, you don't know who you are and you're trying to impress people and then you find that and then suddenly you're free. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, I didn't, this, all, everything, most of the things I talk about now is stuff that I've learned over the years of like sobriety. Mm. Like I didn't know any of this back of then. Of course, yeah. But it's almost like addiction is like escapism. Like you're trying to get away from, I wasn't happy in the skin that I was in. I wasn't happy in the life I was living. Mm. Felt uncomfortable. I wanted to get out of that and I was escaping Yeah. and alcohol gave me that straight away. But then what it does is it kind of entraps you away from the life that you're trying to get away from anyway and keeps you acting in a way where you is you're pretending to be something you're not. It's almost like you're putting on a character yeah. and then you don't like the person that you were getting away from. So when you're, so when you're sobering up and you're getting back to being that person again, the quickest way to get, out of that skin again is just get drunk again. Oh, mate, I fucking relate to that 110%. That's so fucking relatable. Wow, yeah. Is these the nuggets that you were after? Yes, mate, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just got my mind going. This is why, this is what I think the key, listen, that's why, like, I try and listen more than talk in these podcasts. I find it really difficult because I always want to talk and chip in, but yeah. I am just love soaking up the information and connection is the key, man. The connection with people and listening to people's stories is the key just to life, man. To, and so I love it. So thank you for sharing. But um, yeah, man, I mean, that's why that's, that's like when I, uh, at the early stages of my sobriety, I thought I was missing the social aspect of drinking, but it wasn't. It was the getting annihilated. It was the escapism. And that's why sobriety, and I've said it many times before, is so hard at the beginning because you have to sit with yourself, right? Yeah. You have to be yourself. You have to sit with it and it's, and it's horrible. So come on, keep going. Take, so, take yeah, in. so... Obviously, like the drinking started, um, I loved it. It made me feel great. Mm. I loved the way it made me, you know, I, I, I say to people that like, it gave me all this confidence. I can remember times in my school years where like I would go out on a like, Friday night, get drunk and I'd have all the confidence. I'd chat to girls and get a girlfriend. 
And then when I go back into school on the Monday, I'd hide from them because <laughs> I didn't know how to talk to them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, going through those like like end of school years, I kind of messed up my GCSEs. Didn't get as good as I was supposed to get because I lost all ambition. Really, alcohol took that away. I didn't really. I wasn't interested in going to college. Um, and I was in an area where it was kind of normal. All the kids were doing the same sort of thing. Mm. Um, it's quite a deprived area. Um, and yeah, a lot of the kids around the area were doing drugs at the same time as well. Mm. Um, but at the time I wasn't too interested in drugs because from like what I was saying about the, you know, addiction is fixing how I feel. And the quickest way for me to do it is alcohol. It's easy to get hold of drugs. I found a bit more of a, it was a bit of a pain. You had to know the right person, phone some dodgy guy, go meet him in some back alley somewhere. And that seemed like a ball ache to me as I, I wasn't bothered. Um, but eventually as years went on, you know, alcohol wasn't enough. Um, and then eventually the, like the peer pressure took over. Um, I started taking drugs as well. Um, I went through periods of different drugs. Like mm. it, I, there was a stage where I started smoking weed for a bit with friends. Mm. Um, and then I would stop that cause I didn't really get, I didn't, enjoy that too much um and then like uh, i went through a period of taking ecstasy yeah um hang on that for years going to raves and you know thinking i'm living this high life and you know i look back now and it makes me cringe thinking you know i used to just get into these horrible dark dingy clubs in the middle of nowhere jump up and down off your nut off me nut on some podium taking me top off with a little pigeon chest thinking i'm all hard and <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate yeah it's relatable trust me <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and the calm downs off them fucking things, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were getting weaker and weaker as like the years were going on when I was doing it. Um, but then, you know, I, I was always kind of tricking myself. Like I would, I would always say to myself, you know, when I've got a good enough reason to stop the party lifestyle and sort my life out a little bit, I will do it. Mm. So if I become a dad, I'll sort my life out. Mm. If I get the right job, if I get the right girlfriend or something happens to make me want to stop i'll do it yeah um and it never worked you know i became a dad quite young um i was 21 um, when, wow. I, when i had my first son um and i thought that would fix me but it didn't i just i carried on doing what i was doing and then mm. eventually his mum had enough and said you gotta go can't do this and she left you because of the drinking was it or were you arguing or not it, there or not present or it was just all of it really um i, di I didn't look after myself i wasn't very hygienic because i wasn't i was more interested in getting drunk um mm. i would i would work but i would always go for a drink after i was i was in the bar trade at the time so i was like working in pubs but i'd always stay for a drink after and she was always like tired of me getting home late um mm. Just, I mean, that's what the addiction does. You know, my 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 only focus was the drink. Yeah. So you don't realise it at the time. No. You, right. you know, you think you're doing. You know, I I thought I was doing the best. Yeah, I'm working. I'm work. working. I deserve a drink. Da, da, da. Yeah, 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 I, of da, 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 I'm, yeah. But so yeah, nothing. You know, nothing was mm -hmm. good enough to make me want to stop. Um, you know, I went through years of, you know, when I'd stop taking ecstasy when my son was born. Mm. So it was just drinking because I said that it's just the drugs that's the problem um and then when she told me to leave because she'd had enough um, that put me on a more downward spiral so i went on to amphetamines for a long time and that stuff what sort of stuff's that like what um so it was called like speed oh um, fuck that yeah mm. heavy heavy stuff man yeah, yeah. going for days it's basically like um ecstasy mdma but just dirtier and cheaper yeah um it was disgusting um 
and I, you know, I lost loads of weight. I was, oh my, I, I must have looked a mess. You know, yeah. I'd go in for days and days um, without sleeping because I was just taking it all the time. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, and then, like, a job came along, so I thought, you know, so the thing, the funny thing is, like, I was always, when I was like making a mess of my life, I would always go, I need to sort myself out now. This is getting beyond a joke. So I'd stop taking the drugs. I'd stop drinking a little bit. Mm. So I was clever enough then to know that it was drinking drugs that was causing an issue. But then as soon as I've sorted my life out a little bit. Back like, on, straight back. Um, yeah, reward yeah. myself and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go back to it again. And then every time it kind of got to a slightly harder drug. Um, started off on weed, then pills, mm. then amphetamine, and then it went to cocaine. Mm. And we know the dangers of yeah. alcohol and cocaine. Yeah, we do. Yeah. How, um, and how, uh, so was there like a pivotal sort of point for you, like a, like a rock bottom for you where, you know, that you were like, fuck. I mean, and were you, t- how would your, how was your relationship with your son for all of this? Were you seeing, were you seeing him and, and sort of maintaining that? I, uh, I was seeing him, but I was there kind of physically, but not, not mentally. Yeah. I know what you mean. I can remember times where I would pick him up and I, I just wouldn't know what to do with him. Like, he'd want to spend time with me and I'd just, I'd take him to a pub mm. and I'd, I'd try and be sensible and only drink one or two whilst I'm with him. Um, and, you know, being honest, I, I was probably just counting down the minutes until yeah. I could drop him home again. Because once I'd had one or two, I was just like, I was itching for more then. Mm. And I just wanted to take him home to his mum so I could just get back out on it. That's why it destroys families. You don't realise it's the addiction. You mm. don't realise, do you? So what happened next? Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I kind of, I got, I got into cocaine by accident, really. Um, at the time, I was, um, I'd got into a lot of debt with the CSA, and they were taking um, almost forty percent of my wages. Right. Um, and at the time, I was doing a minimum wage job, so they're leaving me with just over a hundred pound a week to live on. Um, and I knew someone that could get cocaine, so I was getting it off him, but selling it for a little bit more expensive. No, you became um, a dealer. Fuck, yeah. So it was that that's basically what I was doing at the start, just dealing it to make some extra money so I could stay out in the pubs. Um and as I was selling more of it, he was like, Oh, well, I'll just introduce you to the guy that I get it from because you can get more of him for cheaper. Mm. And it just started escalating. Um and then because I had so much of it kind of spare as well, mm. I started dabbling myself mm. with it. And what that did for me was I I wasn't too interested in taking it, but then because I love to drink, once I, I quickly realized that once I'd had a few drinks and I was starting to feel a bit drunk, have a bit of sniff and then I feel sober again. And it was like uh, like a balancing act all night, you know, mm. drink a bit, sniff a bit, yeah, drink a bit, sniff a bit and just keep going. Um, and, you know, like a, um, your guest that you had on, um, Nicola yeah. Abraham, I didn't realize what I was doing mm. and, until I saw that podcast. Um, yeah, didn't realize what it was doing to me. Yeah. Creating um, the cocoa ethylene. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, it just, it was getting out of control. Um, I got to a point where I tried to take my own life. Um, as you can see, I was unsuccessful yeah. in my suicide. Um, and was that, was that on a come down? Um, or was it just... it's hard to say because I, I'd probably gone for about three or four days 
mm. without sleeping. Um, and I was still using it at the same time. So it, it could have been partly come down. It could have been I was in the middle of using. Um, but it was, but drug, it was, it was drunk, drink and alcohol. Drink, 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 drink and alcohol fueled. Dan, yeah. um, just in case people haven't seen that episode, could you just take a minute to explain the yeah. combination just just for people? Yeah, so I often get, get the uh, get the name wrong and I, I get corrected uh, online, as you do. But um, it's uh, the mixture of uh, alcohol and cocaine um, in the blood creates another... Um, uh, another chemical called cocoethylene, I think it is. I think I was saying it wrong before, but it's a mixture of the the cocaine and the um, and the alcohol, and it stays in your body for longer. And um, it creates a. Uh, I mean, it, the last podcast I done with Nicola Abraham. If you have a look back on it, we we spoke in depth about it because she, um, she lost her son. Um, he died by suicide, and then they went on a journey to find out that m- many people, um, especially men that have got no history of mental health problems, um, had never spoken about uh, wanting to end their lives, um, on 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 these come downs, have uh, had a split like split reaction to to take to take their own life. And uh, she believes, and there's a lot of research going into it, and, and we're having a look. I'm trying to help them as much as possible as I can, but she believes that it create it can create like a psychotic ep- episode, almost like um well, they called it a uh, an, an excited delirium, uh, where you you can't control your thoughts, and then they look further into it and they realise that this um, this mixture of the drugs that creates this cocoethylene, I think it is, um, can actually create like a psychosis, like a like a hallucinogenic style drug in your body, in your mind, which can create thoughts and feelings that aren't real, um, and they believe it's a massive cause of suicide in young men. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I've. Um, done some research and I've actually reached out to Nicola and spoken to her. On really? The, yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, she's just received 10 copies of my book because she wanted to get some for some mm. of her clients as well. So that's, that's oh, well, well done, mate. That's good. Um, so what happened from so, there? So ba- yeah, basically, like it was, um, I'd gone through days of drinking and s- mm. sniffing gear. Um, we called it Beak back then. Beak, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone just tweeted that to me today, yeah, Beak. I don't know why it was called that, but... Beak, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Because you put, is that, I don't know, why is that? Why is that? Is it because your nose up, is up the beak? Yeah, up your nose is a beak. I don't know. If anyone knows, let us know in the comments. Have you got any beak? Yeah, and then if you, uh, I call it Changalang. You, yeah, but you're posh, mate. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I mean, if someone come up and said, Would you like a lying of Changalang? I'd say, You old Bill. That's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were someone who was cutting it, you were known as someone that was bashing their beak. Bashing their beak. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's bashing his beak, bruv. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I'd gone for days of like drinking and, and sniffing gear. And um, mm. the, it was like I was getting myself in debt. I owed money. Um, I was getting told that I had to pay up um, before I could get any more gear. Yeah. And I just decided that the best way out of it was to take take my life. I oh, man. Couldn't, couldn't see a way out. I, you know, I truly believed that everyone would be better off without me. My son was like, Mm. I wasn't there. I wasn't really there present mentally, so I just thought he would be fine without me. He'd be better off with just his mum. Mm. And I took an overdose of pills, but in a really like weird, sick, sadistic way. Um, I was playing. Um, I I got all. I was living with my best mate at the time, and I got all the pills out of his cabinet that was in his house and just crossed them all up into like smaller bits onto a plate and put them next to me. And I was sat playing a game of golf on the Xbox, and in my head, I told myself if I played a good shot and landed on the fairway or the green i would i didn't have to take any pills if i did a bad shot and landed off the fairway or missed the green i had to take a mouthful of pills fucking hell man and i just kept doing that until i finished the whole plate 
and then I can remember like just feeling a bit weird and going a bit dizzy and went to my bed and just thought I'll just lie down here now and just not I won't wake up uh, mate that it sounds like you were kind of putting it in you wanted to do it but you also putting it in fate's hands maybe subconsciously you were like I'm I'm not sure if this is right but I'm I don't know what I was doing I mean I, I, I can't imagine I was gonna sit there and play a good shot every time for the rest yeah. of my life and not exactly <laughs> so you knew yeah you just maybe found it easier doing it like that then, yeah I'd, yeah but wow that's that's dark and then so you, when you were closing your eyes to go to sleep, did it not cross your mind? Did you not regret? Not once. Um, so what happened is the um, the building we were living in was my best mate's flat, and he there was a shop above his, and then another flat above. And at that week, on that weekend, the people in the top flat had gone away for the weekend, and my best mate had got up and gone to work mm. in the morning. And then for some reason, at about seven a.m., the fire alarm went off in the building. And that's why his girlfriend found me and <gasps> called an ambulance. And that's how I got saved. Oh, my God. And we still don't know what set the alarm off. It, there was like no that's one else. That's universal intervention there. Do you think? Could, could well be. I mean, who knows? But So what? you were passed out and she came into... She, why did she come in to find you? Or was she in the... Was she I, in, she I, was in his bedroom? I think I'd gone into the bathroom to be sick. And then I was on the bathroom floor. So right. she had the fire alarm, came out and saw me in the bathroom. Oh my God. Crazy. But you survived. You went, they took you to hospital. Survived. Yeah. The next thing I remember is waking up um, in the hospital with my mum sat next to me. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just felt awful, really. Like seeing my mum's face sat there thinking, you know, the first thought that came to my head was, oh, shit. I haven't succeeded. Really? But then. Did you really think that? Yeah, that was the first thought that came to my head was fuck i'm still here fucking hell and then i saw my mum and i was just like what have i done what did she say to you she didn't say a lot in the beginning not that i can remember i mean i was i had tubes coming out of me and i was still being violently sick everywhere um mm. i think she just kind of cried and hugged me because my parents did they had no idea that it had got that far mm. you know they just thought i liked to drink um they like to drink so they didn't see it as a problem though. yeah no one really saw it as a big big deal mm. you know i think my family knew that i was always the one that kind of went over the top with drinking when i was at for like family parties and gatherings i was always one that caused a bit of trouble um mm. she got smashed me too yeah but they didn't realize it had gone so far with with drugs um was that was that your rock bottom <laughs> no you'd think it would be wouldn't you yeah no. i carried on after that my parents took me what, immediately um yeah so the, it, this is how mad the addiction is i'm sat in the hospital thinking i need a pint i still need to get myself out of this mess i owe money what am i going to do and i if i come out of hospital and i still owe the money i've still got to sort the dealers out then how I'm, much was that it wasn't even a lot it was only about 700 mm. but still enough to stress you out yeah um but I come up with a cunning plan. Um, I had a regular customer who would buy lots off me and I got him to buy some in advance. Then I used that money to pay the dealer off, then got another amount given to me, then gave him the amount that he'd bought out of that and then had some left to sell that would then, and it... <laughs> Fucking mad. Absolutely insane, yeah. And then it got to a point where I was picking up bigger amounts, um, it got to a point where 
Um, I I kind of got stitched up a little bit. Some I owed someone a little bit of money, and he he owed more money to his dealers, and they'd come down to kind of threaten him to find out what where where all the money is, and he was inflating everyone else's debts. So he told them that I owed him nearly three grand, mm. and they come round the house to find me. He knocked on the door, and I thought it was just him. I opened the door. And then three big geezers jumped out from behind cars and forced their way into my house. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, you owe this much money? And I was like, no, I don't. I only owe this much. And they were like, no, he told us you owe this much money. When can you get it? And I'm just like, I'm like a rabbit in headlights. Don't know what to do. Don't know what to say. And I'm just like, um, give me two weeks. Fucking wankers. And then some dude, the little guy, the littlest one of the three, Stepped forward from a kitchen counter. He was stood in the corner for a bit. He stepped forward, opened up his jacket, showed me the handle of a gun and said, you've got a week. And I was like, okay. Just. You asked your parents for the money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would have done. I know. That's what I would have done. I was straight away. I would have gone, mum, I need three grand. Mind you, I probably wouldn't have. My, my, my family, I don't know. I would have got got it off someone in my family. But I'd, I'd let them down so many times. I didn't want to go there. And it, initially, like, my sister saw me and she was like, she's, this. My, my sister saw me about an hour after this happened. And she was like, what's the matter? You look like you've seen a ghost. And I just broke down and told her what had happened. And she was like, get around mum and dad's now. Like, yeah, it's no joke when someone shows you a fucking gun, right? You got to, yeah. It could have been a water pistol for all I can know, but you didn't want I to find out. I wasn't going to ask him. No. no, that's one of the kind of, in some ways, lesser spoken complications of drug use is that you get involved because it's illegal. You get involved in situations that you would never normally do, even with alcohol, because mm. yeah, but with like cocaine and stuff, you there's just going to be kind of you know dark nefarious people. Yeah, in the in the situation. I mean, me personally, I. I Never, you know, um, because I was just doing tickets, right? I was just getting tickets here, getting tickets there. But I'm pretty sure there's loads of people that are watching this that are like, yeah, they've ticked, 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 ticked. And then it's it's happened. I mean, it's easy to get into because the, if, if you haven't got money yourself, the easiest way to be able to fund your own habit is to sell it. Yeah. There's so many people out there that are doing it. Yeah. And. You know, that's why the gear's so shit. They go into it, and, and it's. I I thought it was going to be this sort of glamorous lifestyle. You like see it in the movies. You're you just know. down the pub, and you're um, like, yeah, all right, there you go. Yeah, thinking you're a bit of a Tony Montana. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the opposite. And, yeah. It's... So what happened then? You got the money, you gave him the money, and then you was out. Tell me, you was out. Oh uh, yeah, gone. Oh, gone you did. You. Point. I um, I I found so a friend of mine. I was going because after the suicide attempt. Yeah. Um. I'd been referred to a local drug and alcohol service and I was seeing a key worker there and it was, it was mad because like I'm going there every week for these meetings and talking to her and I'm going, yeah, I'm doing really well. I've not taken any gear this year, this week whilst my phone is going off in my pocket to sell. on silent because people are trying to buy it because I'm still dealing. Um, and then once all the, once all that shit happened and I was like, I need to get out now because I'm either going to be in jail or dead soon. Mm. Um, I'd been told by a friend of mine about, um, uh, like a, it's almost like a charity run treatment center, but they've got like um, four houses. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to plug names of places. Of course, you do whatever you want, mate. Yeah. So I went to a place called the Amber Foundation. Um, they've got four houses across the south um, of England. They've got one in Devon, one in Wiltshire, mm. one in Surrey, and one in Kent. Um, and they take 
young people who have just had a bad start in life it doesn't always have to be drink or drugs um it could just be you know a traumatic mm. family life and they're homeless they're struggling and they take people in um it's kind of charity run and they just give you sort of like practical guidance of like how to manage money how to because a lot of people that come into that they've never paid a bill in their life because mm. they've just never had to um so I went and stayed, I, I heard about that place and I went to my key worker at the drug and alcohol service and said, you know, I want to go here. Um, partly to kind of get away. Um, you know, I was trying to escape a little bit as well, I think, from yeah, the well, people you, that I was around. Yeah, and, and the environment. You were probably scared as well and you just thought fresh start might be good. Yeah, yeah. Pet, no, yeah, I was pretty petrified. Um, and I went there and even, even when I was there, some other guy that was living there came back on a train one day because you were allowed to go home at weekends once you've been there for a little while. Um, and he came back and said that he'd been on a train back and people had heard him talk about the place and they said, oh, is Stuart Lee living there? And he said, yeah. And they were like, oh, tell him we're going to come and get him. And I was like, fuck's sake. I can't even get away. I was like, what did you say I was there for? Oh, no. Blaming him. He didn't, he didn't know. But like nothing ever happened. Um, but yeah, I went and stayed there for like four and a half five months was you before you went there was you like trying to stop drinking but like or, or was you like i've got to stop at some point so i'm going there or was it on the lead up to that was you trying to get off the booze it was mostly i wanted to get off the drugs right the coat because yeah. i thought the coat was the problem um, but they had a dry house policy as well so you couldn't drink mm. so i did stop drinking whilst i was there as well you were there four or five months but coming back at the weekends coming back at the weekends but I was, I was not i wasn't drinking at the weekends because they would um breath test you when you got back right okay and piss test as well to make sure you haven't taken drugs how was it was it okay was it incredibly difficult to stop when you were living there or was it sort of easier than you thought um the drugs was a bit easier to stop i think if i if i compare both things stopping drugs was easier than stopping drinking yeah um but i like i'd got to my rock bottom with drugs at that point i was like i need to stop doing it. i need to sort my life out mm. this is getting too too out of control you were there for the drugs, really, in your mind, weren't you? Oh, I, yeah, I don't, I, I never really, I never had the intention to stop drinking. Mm. I stopped drinking whilst I was there, because that was their policy, but right. I never sort of told myself, I'm going to stop forever. Right. So what happened when you came out? Um, I stayed off the drink for a little bit, um, and it's, like, this is how I know, like, I am an alcoholic, because if you stop drinking for, like, six months, when you start again, if you were a normal person it wouldn't take you a lot to get drunk when you start drinking again. Um, but I had my first, after I came out of the treatment centre, my first drink was when I was on holiday with my parents. I was in Tenerife watching football with my old man, um, both big both big mm. football fans. And um, I was like, just one won't hurt, will it? You know? Um, we've said that many times, yeah. haven't we? Just one won't hurt. Mm. And he was like, yeah, it shouldn't do. Um, so I had one. And then I was like, one more won't hurt, will it? and had another one and then before i know it we're there for the whole afternoon in the hot sun in tenerife drinking all afternoon then when the football finished we went back to our hotel and then went to the wherever the entertainment was in the hotel and carried on drinking till they kicked us out and I'm, i think i must have had about somewhere between 15 and 20 pints mm. on my first time drinking for about six months like most normal that wouldn't no you'd, out. you'd you'd be like You'd be like, well, yeah, you'd be like, I'll have one or two and see how it goes. Yeah. And, and prove to myself that I don't need any more. Yeah. I went all out. Fucking first, hell. First time. Um, 
and then when we come back off the holiday, I just thought, you know, I just, uh, and I tried to convince myself I could drink like a normal person. Mm. Um, and yeah, no, it's, because I, like I said, I've said in my book, like addiction is just fixing how we feel using something else. It doesn't yeah. matter what vice it is. It could be anything. It could be drink, drugs, sex, gambling, shopping. Fixing how we feel with something else. Yeah. Training, you get addicted to the gym. Mm. And people get, some people get away with um, behaving in an addictive way all their lives because it's something that's not so outwardly destructive. Mm. Drinking drugs is so destructive mm. to your life and everyone else's life around you that it becomes a noticeable problem very mm. quickly but like sex addiction might not no mm. i mean it'll still it'll still have effects on your life but yeah. it won't be to the point of yeah same as drinking drugs would or like yeah yeah because yeah i'm just trying to think of all your addictions yeah you well, like food um this book i'm reading there's a story about a lady who's like completely addicted to food because she was masking other things so she got like super fat and then had to like discover mm. her kind of um in a psyche and why she was doing it so it can be it can be literally anything that gives you dopamine you can get addicted to yeah it, I, I use that as an example in the book mm. so you know like if you see someone who's morbidly obese and you say why can't they stop eating they know what they're doing to themselves but like we don't know how their brain works you know mm. me as an addict when i have a drink it sets off this thing in my brain that i just want more of it mm. and that can be the same with someone who's got a food addiction they yeah. might think oh you know i'm feeling a bit low today i'll make myself feel better i'll have a cake yeah well i i'm i i i went through like a, a stage in my sobriety like i've just started coming out of it and weirdly after uh, i ran half a marathon yesterday weirdly after that i felt it coming back but i was fucking i was like pack of hobnobs and da 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 da, da. Mm. like my, like i mean I, I like it was noticeable my missus was like man like i was getting right into my chocolate and i was like like oh, i eat something i'm going like mm, that feels good <laughs> like like <laughs> and, like a fucking like an addict right and it's dopamine isn't it that's that the, the, yeah. that might, it must be the key and also like when you eat something it kind of takes you out of what you're doing like you know you're sitting watching tv and I'm like, I'll eat, man. Definitely. Think about how many times we've been bored and then just gone to the cupboard to eat. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, all, it's just like checking your phone. It's just, yeah. it's basically not being in the present moment. Yeah, I, th yeah. I think I think it was what Eddie said. Eddie, Eddie, when she was on here, she said that actually eating addiction is one of the hardest addictions ever because you have to eat. Yeah. It'd be like you know giving up, trying to give up alcohol when you have to drink alcohol, mm. or like give up drinking alcohol in excess when you have to drink a certain amount of it to survive. But yeah, so um, yeah, man, dopamine. But the example I use in the book is like um, when I say I think like everybody is on the addiction scale somewhere, yeah. um, but just like different intensities and different vices have different effects on people's brains. Mm. So say so you're like. I use my sister for example. She works in school. She's got quite a stressful job. She'll come home and she'll go, oh, that was a stressful day. I'll have a glass of wine. She'll have a glass of red wine. And then she'll be able to put the bottle away and put it on the shelf and not touch it hmm. until the next day. Now, she still used something to fix how she feels. And that's yeah. what everybody in the world does. But it hasn't made her go over the top mm. and then set off the craving where she wants more and more and more of it. And, you know, I, I still have to be careful nowadays of things mm. that i'm doing you know i still do things like that to yeah me too fix how i feel i'm i'm a big trainer addict i buy trainers all the time mm. but it's not gonna you know that's not gonna it could cause me problems if i'm spending money that i can't afford to spend yeah but at the moment i'm not so it doesn't cause me mm. as many problems i'll buy a pair of trainers it fixes how i feel yeah 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, look, if you're going to be an addict, pick your addictions yeah. or, or choose your addictions wisely and but be aware. I mean, fuck me. Um, I mean, that's what sobriety to me is about, is about working out who I am. And I'm like, fucking hell. Like, I never, I, I like, even, like, even every now and then it pops into my mind, like, sitting, having these conversations with people because majority of people that I interview or got themselves in a much worse situation than I did it. Or it seems like that to me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe or we play that. I play that trick on my mind that you know sometimes I feel a bit guilty. Should I have this podcast? Should I be here talking about it? Am I really an addict? Did I really have problems? But then when I think about when I drank and I used drugs, fuck me, you, mate. I used know. them like a maniac. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know deep down, and it's the same now. When I eat, like you know, I finished that marathon yesterday. I went home and then I was sitting there and I was like, babe, I'm just going to go up to the shop and get some chocolate and stuff. And she's like, well, you just ran a marathon. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's my reward. And I, I ended up it. getting like three packs of biscuits, some cookies, like some actual chocolate things. I bought them all back and I was like, don't even be stupid. Just have a couple of biscuits and an ice cream. And that was it. But I mean, I was still, still addictive behavior. You know, and my phone, I'm, I'm solidly addicted to my phone. And last week I took six days off Instagram. And I felt the difference. It was unbelievable. You know, my screen time was 12 hours a day and I managed to get that down 83%. Like, it was mad. But I'm like, I pick it up, I go boom, 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 scroll and scroll. Did like, you feel better for it, for not having your phone? Oh, my God. I felt, I felt like a, another level of, I felt like um, just normal, man. Because the problem that, sorry to go on a tangent, but right. the, the, problem that I, the problem that I've got is, the negativity that I get from my social media, social media in general, does affect me. It brings my mood down. But the positivity as well, like the people constantly saying that my stuff's good or, you know, when I do a video and it gets like, you know, I've done, I, yeah, I've done a video on Sam Smith over the weekend. It's like 3 million views, like fucking 20,000 comments across all the social media, all of it, like majority of it positive. And even the positive ones makes you go, oh my God, I'm amazing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a comedy genius. And, and then you're thinking about all the positive stuff. And then the world around you, your little kiddies and your missus and everything is all just, da-da-da. and they beca- and that, that whole situation doesn't become like what you're thinking about in your life. And I found with them six days, I was like, come back down to earth and then the enjoyment that I was getting from my normal life was heightened I think I heard someone say it once they said it um, described it as I've got a massive ego I've got just as big an inferiority complex oh my god that's me so I want this limelight but as soon as I get it I'm like oh shit yeah oh my god look look at my bag Look at my bag. It's not drugs. It's not <laughs> <laughs> that's every that's every comedian, Dan. It's like yeah. we, we need the thing, and then we're scared of it. And this yeah. is my counselor gave me this book this week. Look oh. at that. That the ego is the enemy, and um, this is my big battle at the moment that I'm I'm working really hard on is um, is trying to get out of my own fucking head and up out from my own ass. Do you know what I mean? I'm just cool. just bring it down. So talk to me. Come on. Where were we? Um, ooh. Right, so you still thought you were okay drinking? Yes. Um, madness, yeah. You'd had like 20-something pints. Yeah, that, that, that time on holiday. Something ridiculous, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, so I, I sort of carried on drinking, but I was also, at the same time, I so it looked like the most controlled period of my addiction the mm. last five years because I was just drinking. Um, but inside my head mentally, it was like torturing me even more because I was like trying to convince myself that I was okay, but at the same time, knowing I wasn't losing control. Yeah. Um, and one of the stories that made me like really, um, understand how bad the addiction was, um, 
so we like people talk about addiction as being like an obsession that you mm. can't get rid of when you wake up in the morning you think you're gonna have a drink once the obsession hits you there's no way of getting out of that until you have a drink mm. um and you know i might set you off in a minute um to talk about my kids um mm. but um yeah the story that really I, I i tell this story to a lot of people because it's quite important for people to understand i'm not proud of this story but it's it's important um so my the mother of my two younger children she was pregnant with um my daughter and we knew we were going to have a daughter because between us we'd had four boys already um so we wanted to make sure we were having a girl and we were happy you know over the moon we we're having a girl looking forward to it and she was two weeks late and um she said oh, i'm going out um for a drive with my dad to go over speed bumps apparently it's some way of making a labor start mm. um and i'd woke up that morning knowing that it was liverpool against man united big football day um mm. so my head straight away has gone football day today have a drink and she turned around to me and said if you have a drink today you're not coming to the birth and um you were together you were still together still this together. this yeah, yeah. yeah she woke up and said i'm going for a drive with, with my dad um if you have a drink you're not coming to the birth i was like right okay wow um, that, just just to stop you there but was she getting sick to death of your drinking then at that point or she didn't want you specifically drinking around the time the baby was coming i, I think so yeah yeah okay. but i wasn't you know she she went out and i don't know if i didn't believe her or didn't care or but the, like, the obsession had taken hold of me and i i couldn't stop myself. i can't not have a drink today like, is it football yeah so i started drinking maybe an hour and a half before the game even started um i think i got a text at half time saying um the lab labor started baby's on the way get the hospital bag ready um and i was like oh i better have another can quickly before they come home so i open another one and neck that one so i think i'm probably like four or five cans in um get in the car um her dad's driving us to the hospital and all i could think on the way there was oh, i hope this one doesn't take too long fucking hell because the last one took quite a long time. Um, get to the hospital. Um, her dad's outside. We're in the room. She has the baby. Um, and then all I could think was, in my mind, was thinking about, I hope she stays in overnight. So you can go back to home. the pub. Or so you can keep drinking. So I can wet the baby's head. Mm. It's a tradition, isn't it? You wet the baby's head. Yeah. Um, and then she said, oh yeah, I'm staying overnight. And I was like, yes um and then her dad said because we it was out of town from where we lived and he said I'm, I'm driving home now do you want to come with me or are you going to wait and get the bus and she looked at me and said you might as well go with dad and i was like yes mm. quicker so i left asked him to drop me off at the shop because i knew there's only a couple of cans left in the fridge so i got him to drop me at the shop so i could buy another 12 pack walk home and then i go there and drink all of the cans on my own, thinking I'm wetting the baby's head, thinking I'm the best dad in the world. But I look back now, and I don't remember what the room looked like. I don't remember the time she was born. Mm. I don't remember the first outfit we put her in. Mm. I don't remember anything, because the obsession had taken hold of me so much. Mm. All I was thinking about all day was, I'm going to have a drink. Mm. When we're at the hospital, I'm going to go and have another drink. Does that hurt you thinking back to that still? It, yeah, yeah, it does yeah my daughter's 10 now um and she'll probably read the book one day and she'll probably know that story mm. um 
And it's horrible to think that that's. I, I get it, mate. I, I listen. Don't I regret? I, I, I regret so much around my kids. I get it, man. And she's ten, and you're ten years sober. So mm. I'm, I got a feeling that that daughter changed your life, really. Yeah, it wasn't long after she was born that I decided she was born in the January, mm. um, and I gave up drinking the May of the same year. Yeah, I, that normally would have made me cry, mate. But I was, I, 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 I'm, I've done so much work on myself now to forget, not to forgive myself, but to, to, to accept, mm. you know, what I've done wrong. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I, I, it's such a hard one, isn't it? Because you don't want to blame alcohol and the addiction because it, for our own selfish ways, but we didn't, uh, you know, but you know, we had problems, so it's hard, it's hard. You have to take accountability, right? Oh yeah, of yeah. course. But you know, you, you always have to remember as well that there's so many things that you do, um, when you're in addiction that you wouldn't normally do. You convince yourself that it's acceptable behavior. Yeah. Um, but I feel for you, my brother. I feel for you yeah. because, because think things like things like that. I mean, look and fucking hell, what we put the women through, and but things like that, you can't get. I mean, it's punishment. It's punishment enough for the for those things. You can't get those times back. No. And um, that was a massive motivator for me to to get sober. You know, around my wedding. You know, being drunk on my wedding day, and both times I wet the baby's head, mate. Same thing for me. Same thing. It completely overshadowed both births. But that's why alcohol is so hard to give up because there's so many things that it's just ingrained Celebrations. in society. Yeah. So um, even you, at your wedding, you toast to the bride oh, and groom. Right. Yeah. Just so many things that they make it seem yeah. so normal. And the thing is, and this I said this the other day, but listen, right? If you can't control your drinking and things get out of hand, you run the risk of destroying every valuable celebration in your yeah. life every time that you should be celebrating every valuable celebration every memory that you want to cherish because it's through our culture tied in to alcohol to celebrate with if you can't control your drinking and it always gets out of hand and it turns you into a selfish person you run the risk of ruining all their memories well i'm getting married next year so uh let's get on the smash <laughs> <laughs> wow. are you coming yeah i'll come yeah, yeah. um but no you get married yeah and you're going to be getting married sober getting married sober yeah i've done so many things sober now but like one of the things that i try and say to people when in like when i'm in recovery groups and things like that is that your life gets better when you're sober mm. and there's so many things that improve and like material things like i've you know i, I never managed to really hold anything down when i was drinking mm. So materially, my life is much better, you know. Mm. Um, but money, work, da, da, all that, yeah. But the 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 most important thing that sobriety gives you is stuff that money can't buy, like, yeah. and it is what you say about those memories, the relationships, the events that you can remember. Like, yeah, I was I wasn't present for my family, yeah. for my children, mm. for my nieces and nephews, yeah. And you know, when I was drinking, I wasn't even trusted to go in my sister's house when she was there. You know, because if something wasn't nailed down, I'd nick it because I needed money for drink. Wow. Um, but now I've got my own key, you know. Oh, wow. And she, she phoned me. She she texted me once out of the blue and said, um, I need to talk to you. And initially I'm like, oh, fuck, fuck what have I done? done. <laughs> <laughs> the go-to. <laughs> yeah, the go-to. And um, I was like, okay, I'll come around later. And I went around and I was like panicking, sweating, thinking, what's this about? And she said, um, me and Steve, her husband, we're rewriting our wills and we need someone who can be like 
legal guardian to our children if anything should happen to both of us. Oh my god! And we want to know if you'd like to do it. Oh, that must like, have been heartbreaking. I bet you cried, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. To go from not being trusted to step foot in their house yeah. to then being trusted with their children afterwards, you know, and just having that good relationship with my family now, you know, being able yeah. to, uh, you know, go on the golf course with my nephew. Mm. All things like that stuff that's the stuff that money can't buy yeah mate i completely relate to you we um you know I, I i have little moments now where i'm like oh man you know like when i'd done the marathon yesterday and yeah. I, like i finished and the kids and the missus was there and it was like seeing my i know this sounds stupid because it's what your wife should do but seeing my wife there like all proud and she'd bought the kids you know, like I, I didn't even think she was going to come because it's only half marathon and she's done a whole marathon. <laughs> so she was like, are we coming? Like, come on. And she was getting all the kids all railed up the day before and everything. And I was like, wow, this is, it was just so nice. And I finished and they were there and we had a cuddle, cuddle and then we all had fun in the car on the way back. And I was just like, there's no way that this day would have happened if I wasn't sober. And no. it wasn't, I mean, obviously I was screaming and shouting about it online and getting all the fucking attention, but... <laughs> The beautiful thing was just to just being with the kids. Do you know what I mean? So just like, to see them proud of their dad. The yeah, to it. see them yeah. proud, and also like just to be doing life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like doing things. But, but I'm I'm similar to you. Like I've I've seen from looking on your social media and stuff. You're very you push yourself to, yeah. to achieve things, and that's yeah. that's what I've done in like my recovery. Like from early on i told myself i need to push myself out of my comfort zone and mm. do things that i'm scared of doing yeah yeah um, i go on so and i got into boxing quite quickly yeah after getting sober um i thought you know i'd always wanted to give it a go i thought i'd have one fight and get my ass kicked and then just say that i've done it um but i won the first fight and then had a real buzz for it and carried on ended up ended up having 12 <laughs> 12 white collar fights wow you're like the white collar destroyer well not so much I got, I, you're rocking up like that it's my first time <laughs> I, got, I got an alright record I got 7 wins and 5 losses no man I love that I, I, from someone that boxes uh, daily I know how fucking hard that is yeah. it's so hard to get the fitness levels are the fit level yeah. yeah it's it's and um yeah, and I get why that turned into a new thing because it was like a buzz and you just feel so good. Well, uh, I said to people, when I um, when I won the first fight and, you know, that feeling of when the ring announcers are going and the winner is Stuart, bang, bang, Lee, and then the ref lifts your arm up, that feeling then mm. was like the amount of effort that I'd put into to get mm. that moment and that high was better than any drug I've ever taken. Yeah, And it lasted for a lot longer. Yeah, the best highs, best highs are harder to to get. You know, I, I put that into my tweet with my marathon thing, and I said, you know, at the weekends now, I've got to do fucking hard work to get any sort of high. Yeah, you know, but it's so much more rewarding. But that's why it's so easy for people to go back to drinking drugs because yeah. it's the quickest, the easiest way yeah. of getting a high. Well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm a firm believer in, and um, I know I'm conscious that we're. Uh, oh, by the by the way, oh fucking hell! Just while we're on this, I just said I'm conscious we're out of time. Someone commented on the last podcast and was like, "Well, listen, just let them tell their story. If it takes an extra half hour, it takes an extra half hour. Why are you conscious of the time? Because we're on a fucking time limit." So I just want to get that out there. I just want to box some of the people commenting. But um, oh mate, um, 
but yeah, man, I'm a firm believer that uh, as a species, like as 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 especially men, uh, but as a species or whatever, we're like we're hunters and gatherers, right? We're supposed to be chasing something, whether it's like mentally or metaphorically or or physically, you know. Ch- yeah. we're, we're supposed to be chasing something, and and I feel like if you lack purpose, addiction can creep in. So if you give yourself purpose, like the boxing or whatever, but not not just that. When you wake up in the morning, if anyone's ever anything like me, where you're like full of worry or thought or overthinking, you know, the natural stresses that we get from the natural stresses in life that we get from our phones, you know, going on and seeing the news, the stress from the news or or comparing our lives to other people on social media or the access that our work or whatever has got to us, you know, emails, WhatsApp messages, people wanting you we ain't designed for that fucking level of uh, anxiety and stuff like that. So we feel like we're under attack. And when we were like chasing down saber toothed tigers and fucking knocking out T-Rexes, I don't know if we ever done that, but you know, when we were cavemen, mm. that fucking sort of threat was real, right? Yeah. So our anxiety goes up. So if you mix that with no exercise in your life and no way of burning it off, you just build tension, stress, anxiety, which ultimately can turn into depression. So I think it's a massive, I think if you're planning on going sober, you know, it's a massive thing, isn't it? I had someone ask me last week, you know, what's a good tip for um, trying to get sober early on. And I said, like, find yourself something else to be obsessed with. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. So I did it with boxing. um, And then, boxing became easy not easy as in like i was the best in the world no. easy as in like it didn't scare me anymore yeah 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 me too so i thought i need to try something different and i'd always wanted to learn to dance so i went <laughs> oh, <to>. fuck off <laughs> fuck off what what dancing yeah, yeah, what like done. wait do. wait don't let me let me guess let me guess wait it ain't tap is it wait 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 <laughs> you're falling in the sink no it's um let me guess let me guess salsa no i did salsa for a little bit but i didn't like it no so I do modern jive. It's called jive. Yeah. What the old jive that the well, old people no, used to so, do. So it's called modern jive. So right. it's um it's similar, like in it's partner dancing and the women do a lot of twists and turns mm. and stuff like that. But it's sort of slowed down and you can dance mm. to more modern music. Mate, you are the stereotypical fucking sober guy, mate. You just start doing all mad weird shit. All your fr- <laughs> all your all your friends are like you heard about him, yeah? He's dancing now. <laughs> it's fucking that is, that is exactly it. <laughs> yeah. I love it though, man. Fuck it, man. And um no, I'll tell you what, though, doing a dance competition for the first time and dancing, because I th- there's different categories in the competitions, and I decided to do one where it's just, um, it's called Showcase, where it's just you and your partner dancing a choreographed routine that mm. you've made in front of everybody else. Mm. So doing that in front of, like, I think probably 400 people, mm. that was more scary than boxing. Yeah, well, yeah, I get, yeah, because you, yeah, I can understand. A lot more self conscious doing yeah. that. You're putting yourself out there creatively as well because it's your dance that you've written. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Right, we've got to finish up there, Stuart. I found that really, really interesting. Anything you want to add uh, where people can find you, where they can get the book, anything like that before we before we finish? Yeah, the book is available on Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. paperback or Kindle, um, and on Apple Books. Stuart mm-hmm. Lee, Me and My Addiction. Um, I'm on social media. I've got a couple of different instagram mm-hmm. platforms um i've got my author page which is stuart underscore lee underscore author mm-hmm. um and i've also just created a new sort of like sobriety mm-hmm. community platform for people to come um i do weekly sessions like wow like almost like a meeting but mm-hmm. online so people can come and join that um if you're interested in doing that it's kind of just um that's a great tool so people it's so people just come and talk yeah so uh, i've done it like i've, I've got like um 
a format um, where people come on and then it's like one of the questions that we ask everybody to answer is what's your wins for the last week so mm. to give some positivity of what they've what something they've done that's great and then what's your positive intentions for the next week mm. um, so they can you know if you say you're going to do something you're more likely to actually do it mm. just think it um, and then we do a topic and i'll read something uh, around sobriety and then give my little sort of five minutes on what that topic is and what it means to me mm. and then give everyone else the opportunity to talk about it as well brilliant anything they want to what's that called test. um it's called sobriety rocks so the idea of the platform sobriety rocks is to kind of say, i want to um, get rid of the stigma that sobriety is boring yeah man because when i first got sober i thought well, what am i going to do if i don't drink yeah life's going to be dull um but it's not i actually have more fun now fucking dancing over. and shit yeah yeah <laughs> no yeah dancing and I've, I've got to remember that i'm not boxing when i'm dancing because i don't <laughs> want to start punching the guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh sobriety rocks yeah sobriety rocks so that's is it on uh, the app store or no it's it's Website. online i do it i do it through zoom but if you if you want to if you want to join on one when it's on wednesday nights um 7 45 mm. um if you want to jump on and have a look at it um there's a zoom link it's on my um instagram page which is at sobriety rocks uk that's really cool, man. That's really cool. So the idea is to do the the, the weekly sessions, I call them, and then I want to also do sober retreats, so weekends where guys can, guys and girls can come and camp out and do some practical stuff for mindfulness and wellness. Wicked. Um, and then the end goal is to do um, a sober festival. Mm. I want to put on a gig, some live music and stuff where people can come and there's no alcohol and just have a good time. Well, we keep talking about that, me and you, mate. I can help you with that, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, man. Good. How do you feel about doing the podcast? I love it. I, I want to do my own podcast. Can you come and be a guest on mine? Of course. When I when, yeah. I, when I get my arse in gear and actually no start problem. doing it. 100%, 1,500 quid. <laughs> <I'll be there>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm of course I will, mate. You give me your time, I'll give you, I'll give you mine. Stuart Lee, thank you again, mate. Thanks, Thanks for right, joining us. Thanks for joining us. Uh, right, I'm going to wrap this up uh, by saying a few few words, man. I just want to say uh, a big thank you to my guest, Stuart Lee. You can find his book there, Me and My Addiction. All right, just give it a search and you'll find that. Um, and John, big shout out to you, mate. Thank you, my friend. Good to see you back in. Another great episode. Yeah, good fun. We didn't have a camera, but he is looking as beautiful as ever for anyone out there. Um, find him on OnlyFans. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but listen, I just wanted to just explain a little something to you guys. Like The, the direction of the podcast is ever-changing. So thank you for having your patience with me. So, you know, we had Kirk here for a while. Um, you know, we've, we've had stuff about everything from you know, addiction to loads of different types of addiction to suicide to da 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 and the I, and I get a lot of messages. I'm like, what is the podcast? Oh, it's changing. Can you do this? Can you do that? Ultimately, I just want to talk and connect. That's all I want to do. And I feel like it's the most beautiful, powerful thing that we can do with each other. And the more I sit and talk to people, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your problem was, or where you are in your journey, where you've overcome, I get sucked in and I just learn and it opens the conversation and it keeps me thinking. And that's all I want this podcast to be. So I hope you appreciate it and I hope it's helping some of you out there and any positive feedback is always welcome in the comments for me and both my guests because we get super <laughs> super conscious about it so yeah any negative stuff just might come and meet me no i'm joking <laughs> um but thank you very much john thank you Stuart. and uh, that was menace to sobriety Ooh. share the pod leave us a comment like it i'll see you soon 
Hello! We are going to take the Menace to Sobriety to the live stage and we need a live studio audience to interact with us, to come along, listen, laugh and learn everything about sobriety, mental health, well-being and just come along for a night out with like-minded people. We are going to be going live on the 30th of August, 27th of September, 25th of October and the 29th of November. That's one a month. Get your tickets now. Come down, meet the team and have some fun. Menace to Sobriety live, coming soon. Oh yes, and don't forget, if you want to come and see me live and meet me, I'm going on tour. The Daniel O'Reilly Outer Character Full UK Tour kicks off in January 2024 and tickets are on sale right now. I'm going to try and get out and meet as many of you as possible. And of course, I'm going to be bringing the laughs all over the UK. There's 23 dates right now and I'm adding more all the time. Hit the link in the bio and get your tickets now and come have some fun. If you're going through a tough time at the moment, please don't suffer in silence. Feel free to pick up the phone and contact any of these helplines. I personally, myself, at one of my darkest points, contacted the Samaritans and it completely changed my outlook and got me out of a really deep, dark place. A problem shared really is a problem halved. So if you don't feel confident talking to those around you, check out any of these organizations and give them a call. This is my Facebook group. Just simply search on Facebook, Men and Their Emotions. It's for men only, uh, but once you're in there, you can talk anonymously about your problems and help others and just feel a little bit of community. So come join the conversation, Men and Their Emotions, on Facebook. Thanks for watching. Menace of sobriety. Just a menace. Just, just.